0: we look forward to. We go to God's Word. As you find your way back to your seats, we will have a word of prayer and be turning to Matthew 21. It is Palm Sunday. It's called the Triumphal Entry. We'll be talking all about that. And amazingly, as I mentioned, that it just so happens that in our verse-by-verse study, chapter-by-chapter, we happen to be in Matthew, and we happen to be Precisely at the same place, Jesus now coming into Jerusalem. So, our hearts and our minds have been prepared for the, what falls on this Sunday uh, in the Christian calendar, Palm Sunday. Now, Father, we are thankful that you are working all things together. We pray that you would open our eyes, that we would see something wonderful and new, fresh and life giving and life changing. Father, oftentimes familiarity does breed contempt. And we've heard this story about the donkeys and the palm branches. And like we've heard it a hundred times, but God, it's living word, as sharp as a sword. It can come and pierce through down deep and change us forever as a scalpel in the healing hands of the great physician. May you show us some new insight that sets us free. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So yeah, Passion Week, if someone were to ask you, what are you passionate about? How would you answer that? It's a fitting question for Passion Week, right? Some people might say they're passionate about their work, They're passionate about their music or they're passionate about good food and healthy living. There's a lot of things to be passionate about. And we most certainly will prioritize our lives and make much sacrifice for that which we are most passionate about. And so if we would ask the Lord Jesus Christ what he is most passionate about, he would answer, You and you and me. We are the object of God's greatest passion. And so this is amazing. He prioritized his entire life and coming to this earth for you and for me. And there was much sacrifice involved in that excruciating, and by the way, the word excruciating comes from the word crucifixion, excruciating. They are related, and he had passion enough to restore us to life that he would come and become one of us and lay down his life. Now, um... Psalm 24 hasn't always been a favorite psalm of mine. Let me show you what I'm talking about. It should cause you a little concern as well. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Heaven. Who may stand in his holy presence in heaven before the throne of God? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Well, we've got some bad news. <laughs> you will not be ascending into the presence of a holy God because your hands are far from uh, clean and your heart very far from pure. And mine as well. well I used to read this passage and really, I don't know, despair. But see, this is what's guiding the passion of our God. The only one who could ascend into the presence of a holy God and Father is the one who descended from heaven. He can ascend because he alone is sinless. He's the God-man. And he has clean hands and a pure heart. But he came down, he descended, and laid down his life and. Shed his blood to cover our sins, to pay for our sins, that as he ascended and stands by right as a worthy person before God in his holiness, we too, by extension can follow in the train of his robes of righteousness, and stand with him as holy with Clean hands and a pure heart because they've been made clean and our hearts have been purified, not by our effort, but by the washing, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit and the blood of the Most High God. This was God's passion. Jesus said, I have come down from heaven to do my father's work, and to offer my life as a ransom payment. And so that was his passion. Three times he told his disciples, we're going to Jerusalem now. I'm going to lay down my life. They're going to mock me. They're going to pull my beard out. They're going to spit in my face. They will put me to death, but on the third day I will rise three times he said, we're going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be killed. And then he says in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, after he tells them that, he says, uh, Luke says, and he set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. Now, a lot of us are like, what does that even mean? It means not going to the right, not going to the left. I know what I have to do. I have to lay down my life in such an agonizing, shameful Way to hang on a cross for six hours for with the sins of the world on his sinless shoulders, he says, I'm not turning to the right, I'm not turning to the left. And uh, in one passage, he tells the disciples, Look, we're going to Jerusalem, I have a baptism to over to undergo, meaning a baptism of fire to endure the wrath of God on our behalf. And he says, Oh, my, I'm so compelled until I get that thing done. That's a quote on the Lord. So this is why it's called Passion Week. He doesn't go uh, begrudgingly. He doesn't drag his heels. This is something that was done before the foundation of the world. The lamb was slain before there was an earth, in God's point of view. Because of what? Because of he foresaw our greatest need, that we would be estranged from him forever. Instead of eternal life, we would have to suffer eternal death. He saw that and in his passion said, I'm going to fix that for anybody, for whosoever. And that's the amazing part of the gospel. And so he comes to Jerusalem, purposeful, passionate, and in a public display, uh, letting the world know that he indeed is the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world. And so we're going to take a look at that dramatic descent down from the top of Mount olives there. And and just so you know, uh, Barclay said Jesus could not have chosen a more dramatic moment because up to two million people, Jews, always went to Jerusalem for the three major holidays. And so uh, Josephus says up to two million Jews from all over would come converging upon Jerusalem. Jerusalem, greater Jerusalem, is the size, the exact size of Santa Rosa, 48 square miles. So can you imagine 2 million people coming for a festival in Santa Rosa and what the streets would look like, just so you know. That's exactly what was going on. And Jesus decided, this is the day I'm going to come out to Israel as their Messiah and he does so in very obvious ways and everybody knows what he's saying he's saying I am he, I am your Messiah and so yeah and it's not just coming down the hill it's how he comes down and that's filled with so many uh, valuable insights and now we're going to take a look at that now he's going to let the world know That he's the one. So let's get situated on top of uh, chapter 21, as it were, at the top of the chapter and at the top of the Mount of Olives, uh, where this holy sacred processional will begin. All right, let's do this. Verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, Bethphage is a little village on the top of Mount. of Olives, next to another village named Bethany. And guess who lives in Bethany? Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead happened two weeks before, right there at the top of the summit of the hill. And in fact, every night of the week, they go back up the hill, it's only a mile and a half, to the top, and they stay with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, or so we think. Or they camp out at the Garden of Gethsemane, especially on that last night. And so you kind of get a feel of what's going on at the top of Mount, uh, Mount of Olives. Mount, it's 300 feet. It's a hill. It's a big hill. It's not a mountain, all right? He says two disciples could be Peter and John because later in the week, Peter and John are named to go out and prepare the Passover room, the upper room, right? So maybe, doesn't say. Saying to the two guys, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you're gonna find a donkey tied there with her colt by her, which no one has ever ridden. That's an important little, fun little fact there, Luke throws in about the baby donkey untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you tell them that the Lord needs them, and he'll send them right away. Now this took place, and Matthew does this all the time, he does it 60 times. 60 times in Matthew. It says, oh, by the way, this happened because it's written in the Old Testament. Here, 60 times. If it just happened three times, it would be like, wow. But 60 times? Man, now come on. That's verifiable truth, not blind faith. Go in the village, and once you're going to find a donkey, untie them, bring them to me. And uh, uh, so the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, that says, say to the daughter of Zion, daughter of Zion means Jerusalem, it's another name for Jerusalem, daughter of, people of, the people born there in Jerusalem, say to the Jerusalem folks, see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So there's 315 of these promises to the Jews, so they have qualifiers for when the would-be Messiah says, hey, it's me. Okay, well, where's the donkey, and you're supposed to ride in? Uh, Where is that? Where's being born in Bethlehem? Micah 5.2. Where is all of these other things? So the disciples go on, and they do as Jesus had instructed they brought the donkey and the colt they placed their cloaks on them and Jesus sat on them the cloaks, not the two donkeys, oh my word verse 8, a very large crowd and then John adds this, that was with them when Lazarus was raised from the dead, because they're in the same place, right? So everybody's there telling the story, Lazarus is jumping around saying I was dead for four days, you know? continued to spread the word, and many were there because they wanted to meet Jesus. they heard about he, he raised Lazarus. And they spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from palm trees and laid them on the ground. Verse nine: the crowds that went ahead of Him and that followed were joyfully praising God for the miracles they had seen. In other words, three and a half years of Jesus traveling, doing all those miracles we've been reading about. they're in the, a lot of them are coming anyway for the Passover, but they have received great miracles, so they're in the crowd. So this is a pretty excited group, okay? Uh, And so the crowds that go ahead, they're singing praises, shouting, Hosanna means hallelujah, to the Son of David is a title for Messiah. We'll talk about that. And then they grab Psalm 118, verse 26, out of the holiday song, and they're chanting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Another uh, reference to Messiah and Savior, um, and they're saying Hallelujah in the highest. Hosanna in the highest just means like praise God everywhere, all the way up to the highest heaven. Okay, and then I, I we're going to close with Luke's account. Then some of the Pharisees they're not happy campers, <laughs> they don't like Jesus, and so they say, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus answered, famous, I tell you, he replied. If they keep quiet, the stones are going to sing out. I don't think you're ready for that. Verse 41, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he cried. He was moved to tears. He said, oh, Jerusalem, my Jewish people, if you only knew what was going on, if you only knew who I was and what would bring you peace and blessing... But now it's hidden from your eyes. Spiritually, you're blind. Verse 43, the days are coming, and I just summed it up here, when your enemies will come in, and they're not going to leave one stone on another, they're going to demolish Jerusalem, because you didn't recognize the time of God's coming to you. And what else would you expect if God visits you to save you and you don't recognize that or you send him away or you don't open the door, how can you expect it? A blessing from that? No. And so we're going to look into that now as we get settled. Um, if this Palm Sunday could be thought of as a musical piece, maybe it would have three movements then. Number one note takers, it would be the proclamation. It's the Messiah. Number two, the praise. The crowd recognizes that and praises accordingly. And then three, the prophecy, the bad news. If you reject the foundation stone for the building, which is the, from that song, the builders rejected the cornerstone, the most important stone. They said, ah, we don't need that one. Well that turned out to be the foundation stone and you can't have a building without that. And so yeah, that's the prophecy. You re- if you reject the part of the puzzle that's the most important piece, then what do you got? All right, let's dive in then with the great proclamation here and so it's up on the screen. I'll paraphrase it long last. They come up from Jericho. Jesus has healed a blind beggar, Bartimaeus. He's jumping around saying, I could, I was blind all my life and now I can see he's in the crowd. They go up 17 long miles up to the top of Mount of Olives and now they're getting ready to descend and Jesus doesn't want to walk anymore because he wants to proclaim that he is indeed the Messiah. So he's going to order up the donkey there in fulfillment of Zechariah's words. And so you'll recall now as we think about this that when people came to the realization that Jesus was Messiah, he usually said, shh, don't tell anybody. In fact, when Peter said, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. Christ, by the way, is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Messiah. They mean the same thing. Christ, Messiah, same thing. Messiah, Christ means selected one, chosen one, the way of salvation, the way to life. This guy that's what it means. And so, whenever people said, "You're the Messiah," he said, I, 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 they, "He charged them strictly not to tell anybody. Why? Timing. Timing. He has. He's the Passover lamb. In prophecy, he has to die on that Friday, but not just on Passover, any old Passover. He has to die on that Passover." So we can't be messing around, stirring up the crowds and all of that yet. And now he's fine with that because he reached the appointed day. I'm going to throw in something here for you. That's amazing. It's one of the 315 prophecies. A lot of people don't recognize it because it's a little complicated. But in Daniel, about Palm Sunday, (laughs) wow, Daniel is fasting and praying. What a great man of God, Daniel. And while he's fasting and praying, seeking God, God sends Gabriel, an angel, his archangel, to Daniel. And Gabriel comes and says, I'm going to give you the timeline for the end of the world. I'm going to lay it all out for you in this Hebrew language of weeks, 70 weeks. Each week stands for seven years. It's a little bit of uh, theological trigonometry, uh, but there are people who are gifted and well-studied who who handle this. Now, according to Gabriel's words, there will be 483 years will pass from the decree that the Persian king says, you Jewish people who have been removed from Israel, you can go back to Israel and rebuild Jerusalem. Gabriel says, from that day, when when he stamps that thing, start counting. 483 years, Messiah will show up in the land to, and I quote, finish transgression, put an end to sin, atone for wickedness, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, end quote, and then he will be cut off. 483 years, if you calculate 360-day years for the lunar Jewish year, you come out with 1, 173,880 days from the decree in 445 B.C. If you count 173,880 days, you're going to end up on Palm Sunday. Exactly! Yeah, that's a wow. Thank you for that, Katie. <laughs> that's just one of 315. To the day he comes in. So it's not just Zechariah 9.9 9 that says, hey, by the way, if you want to know the Messiah, you make sure he's riding in on a donkey because that's the way it's going to be. No, he gives you even more than that. And so he appears uh, on that day And then five days later, what? He's cut off. Why? To make atonement for sin and bring in everlasting righteousness. Oh, happy day, oh, happy day when Jesus washed all of our sins away and he did it willingly. No one takes his life. (laughs) I love when he says, you know, no one takes the life of the Son of God. Not possible. But I'll lay it down because I have, quote, I have the authority to lay my life down and I have the authority to raise it back up. Oh, now he's saying he can do what only God the Father can do. He says, I can raise up my life. That's pretty amazing. So he sends two guys out, and I love this. To go into the village, he notice he knows everything. You know, I mean, he created our minds and hearts. He knows everything. He's the Lord, and so he says, you know, you're going to go into a village. I want the uh, there's a donkey and its colt. Uh, it's tethered there. I want you to untie them. If someone's probably going to give you a hard time about it, you just tell them the Lord. He said, well. This is amazing, of course. You know, somebody's going to give them a hard time, right? Because if you parked your car in front of Starbucks and somebody opened the door and said, you know, I need your car, you'd probably have some questions about it, wouldn't you? Say, hey, what are you doing with my car? Well, hey, what are you doing with the donkey and the colt? You tell them, the Lord. Whoa. Every commentator said, it's a fully loaded term. It's God the Lord God, me, the Lord God wants the donkeys that I made. I need them, I want to use them, I'm God, I made them, I want them, give them to me. That's what he's saying. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Well, he's done shushing everybody. He's like, I'm the one. So let's just, just tell him, God, God, speaking in a human body, wants them. So hand them over. And if you think I'm exaggerating, Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says that by Jesus everything was created. In John chapter 1 he says nothing that exists, exists that he didn't create. This is the man, he's the God man he didn't have an earthly father, it's God through a a human womb who spoke And the universe leaps into existence. He's the word that was with God in the beginning. He was equal to God in every way. The word was God. And the word that was God became flesh in his passion to become a sin offering, the perfect human being who is also God. And he lays down his life. And so that's pretty amazing. And so then... Now the deity of Jesus is confirmed again, yet not just by Jesus' own words, but by Zechariah, who Zechariah says, yeah, make sure you you find a Messiah who actually rides in on a donkey. And so the first coming, notice this, this is a paradox. He comes in to conquer the devil, death, death, Sin of the world, lowly and meek and not raising his voice and no swords blazing anywhere on a donkey, on the donkey's baby. Lowly, gentle, he says. That's the first coming. You don't hear his voice in the street, Matthew chapter 12. He's not somebody uh, who's like John the Baptist. He didn't come to blow out a little wick that's barely alive. No, he came to increase that. He's not going to snuff it out. He tells the woman caught in adultery, I'm not going to condemn you. I didn't come to condemn people. I came to save them. Go your way and sin no more. This is the gentle, lowly. He says, come to me. Anybody's weary, heavy, burdened. My ears aren't like up in attack mode. They're down. I'm friendly. Come amnesty time. I'm going to bleed out for you people. All your sins are going to be paid for. So I'm lowly and meek unassuming. assuming it's safe. Then, that's the first coming. Oh, my word. Did you know in Zechariah where he says there, he's describing the first coming, by the end of the chapter, the same Messiah who he says gentle comes into Jerusalem Appears over Jerusalem with flaming fire with arrows shooting like lightning. The same Messiah. Because he goes from first at the beginning of the chapter, gentle Jesus riding in to lay down his life for the sins of the world. And then he gives 2,000 years of amnesty. And then for those who reject, those who are alive and surrounding Israel, he will return the same Messiah now. Not as a lamb, humble, meek, but as the lion of the tribe of Judah. You see, God has two natures, doesn't He? Romans chapter 11, Paul says, Would you please notice the kindness and the severity of God? He is both the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, or the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Who would be afraid of a lamb? The lamb, they're, they're, I mean, even the, the toughest farmer dude, you know, that, the lamb is just a, an incredible thing. You just want to cuddle that thing, you know? So the way that you want God to treat you as either the lion or the lamb depends on your response. So those who humble themselves, accept his truth, try to submit to him and walk with him, try their best. He's the lamb. He's gentle. But if you want to oppose him and, and work against him, then you're going to have to deal with the lion and his roar, yeah, you see? And so so many people, that's the only way they come. They have to meet the lion, you know. And so, But better meet the lion and be in heaven than just uh, always feel patted on the back and everything's cool and then wake up and find yourself, whoops, missed the boat. And so, yeah... So this gentle Jesus, it's a limited time offer <laughs> and uh, we're in what's called that grace period right now. And so, yeah, he's the Prince of Peace. Makes sense. Uh, one writer, did and we'll move along now, but one writer said the triumphal en- entry is a bit of a paradox, isn't it? Because you have the triumph of humility over pride and worldly grandeur, of poverty over affluence, and of meekness and gentleness over rage and malice, life over death and good over evil. It's an amazing thing, what Jesus did humbly, gently. It's amazing. But he won't always be that way. Let me show you uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of the world <laughs> of many, and he will appear a second time. This is where we get the term second coming. Not to bear sin as a meek and humble, meek and mild <laughs> lamb, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Second, second Thessalonians 1 8 says, blazing fire, he will appear with the mighty hosts of heaven. Heaven's armies with him. In that day of Armageddon, when he comes to protect his people, who? Romans 11, chapter 11, verse 25 says that in Armageddon, when the Antichrist has got all the team Antichrist ready to kill everybody in Israel, they look up and they cry out to Yeshua. Finally, <laughs> better late than never. And uh, <laughs> he appears, and boom, Armageddon. You could read Revelation 19. He just speaks a word, and it's over. Not much of a battle with God. All right, so let's continue on here. The disciples do as they're told. They make a makeshift saddle, right? Huge crowds that were kind of there with Lazarus and many of them who had seen or experienced miracles. They're waving and palm branches and laying them before the processional and their cloaks as well, and they're singing and praising and uh, God and, and quoting the scriptures and all of this. So the proclamation yields now to the praise because now they're seeing that Jesus is saying, yeah, it's me, and they're saying, yeah, it is you, and we praise you. Now sadly, and get this, because they misunderstand his mission, They don't understand the laying down gentle Jesus part of the crucifixion, the death for their sins. They expect now, here comes our Messiah, and they want to fast forward to the second coming and the millennial kingdom, which puts Israel as the superpower of the millennial kingdom. Ten times the size of Israel her borders will be. The 12 disciples will be on 12 thrones, so they want to see that. That's what they're expecting is coming on, on Easter weekend. This is what they're, they're saying. This is it. And they're quoting the scriptures, and they're looking to all the millennial blessings. Well, it doesn't turn out that way. And so they say, we're done with you. In five days, Hosanna goes to crucify him. He did it. God didn't do it the way I thought he would. Oh, there's loss and death, and and he's saying, pick up your cross and follow. There's not happiness and health. And there's some troubles he allows, persecution. No, no, no. We wanted to be exalted, not humbled. So out with him! Get rid of them! Crucify him! The Lord who? Oh, dude, that was five days ago. How could you be so quick to just go from praise God to get rid of him? Because he didn't do what they wanted him to do. And I have met Christians, and so have you, who they get a speed bump in life, a little hiccup, and maybe it's a big hiccup. Granted, a very big hiccup. Our hearts go out to you because it was such a hiccup well, you want to talk about hiccups? Go to Job. Go to Jesus. Go to anybody in the Bible, Paul the Apostle. That's well, no reason to throw out your faith. And so sadly they throw out their faith and Jesus tells them that's a mistake because that's going to bring some hard times for you. So uh, the the crowds are so big they threaten to crush Jesus as we've been told on many occasions. And so yeah. So he he gets on that donkey, and by the way, it is a donkey that never has been um, broken. That's why Luke tells you the Holy Spirit wants you to know, see a little cute, uh, cute, you know, uh, insightful picture here. It's powerful. He gets on an unbroken animal that obeys him, that is calm even the the frenzied thing, but because it's a picture of what Jesus is doing. Jesus is going to the cross to be able to take our rebellious nature, the nature of a donkey, right? And bring it under his reign and his submission. And so this animal's never been broken, never been ridden. It's a wild donkey. He gets on it, calm, obedient, and serves God's purposes now. It's just another beautiful picture of what the cross and the Passion Week was all about: is to change our, nat- our nature, from that rebellious, disobedient person, to a person who loves to do the will of God. And so, yeah, um, the branches come down in front, and the cloaks because that was the Jewish custom. Uh, for royalty, you know, lest even the donkey's hooves touched the undignified dirt that's carrying such a dignified person such as the Messiah. Uh, uh, I think it was uh, what 2 Kings 9 when the Lord was done with Ahab the wicked king and said I'm, I'm going to raise up Jehu and he sent a prophet to anoint Jehu as king and Uh, once that was done, all of the officers in the army took off their cloaks and laid it in front of their their comrade there who is now promoted to the king. And they said, you walk on top of our coats, please. That's what was going on, the red carpet kind of thing. And so they call him the son of David, and this is what's going to get the Pharisees nose out of joint. The son of David is a title for the Messiah. And here's what happened. A thousand years before. King David is worshiping the Lord and a word comes from the Lord to King David guess what? I am going to take one of your biological heirs, an ancestor with your DNA blood to you is going to reign and rule forever the divine God-man, the man part will be blood related to you, you will share a common DNA with him. In fact, he will be great-grandson times 48 through Mary, because Mary is related by blood, so is David, so is Joseph. Joseph is also related to David by blood, but we don't need Joseph to be God just said I can do both. I can do both. We don't need Joseph's bloodline because he's the stepdad. But watch this. They both can be related to David. And so there is the son of David. So ever since David's day, they had yet another qualification. If you're going to say you're the Messiah, you better be born in Bethlehem, you better ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, and you better show your credentials that you're related by blood to David. So Matthew says, no problem. Let me start my book with a list, a long list of boring names. Who does that? Well, he's writing a book, and he starts out with a... huge list hello the genealogy of jesus that's the first line because he's saying jews listen up you want proof he's the son of david abraham isaac jacob and it goes on and on and on and on 14 generations to david and then david 14 generations to the exile and then through the exile 14 generations to mary boom jesus And if you're not happy with Matthew's version, because it only starts with Abraham, you can go to Luke's version of 72 names. (laughs) Chapter 3, from Adam. He starts with Adam, and he goes up all the way the family tree, and guess who's in the middle of it? David. All the way up in Luke chapter 3 is Mary's line. And you see, all the way up, to how he's the son of David and so Hosanna in the highest as I said. But here get this from Psalm 118, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord also bothered the Pharisees because the Messiah was coming in the name of the Lord. So anybody came in the name of the Lord, he had the Lord's full authority and heart and purposes to do God's will. And so that was a messianic thing. So they're saying we receive you as God's authoritative Messiah to establish God's coming into the world. And so uh, everybody's happy everybody's singing hallelujah praise the Lord to the highest heavens everyone's happy but not everybody's singing his praises. We wrap up with this. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd go to Jesus and they say, hey, teacher, tell your disciples to shut up. Stop blasphemy. Do you hear what they're saying? They're calling you the Messiah, the wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. They're saying that's you, almighty God. Tell them to be quiet. Jesus says, well, one problem with that if I did tell them to be quiet and everybody just stopped praising me, uh, the rocks would praise me instead. <laughs> so are you up for that? Just asking. You know, I don't think you're ready for that. And don't you think for one second? That he couldn't do that? Oh, he would. Oh, he could. How about Balaam, the false prophet? He's riding on a donkey. Donkeys don't usually talk, right? So the donkey's smarter than the false crazy prophet who wants to curse Israel. The donkey is given vision that there's an angel with a drawn sword to kill Balaam. And so the donkey stops because the donkey's smart. (laughs) Balaam wants to keep going because Balaam is not smart. And so Balaam takes out a, a stick or a whip and he's beating the donkey mercilessly and god opens the mouth of the donkey the donkey turns her head and says man what's your problem <laughs> what are you beating me like that for listen haven't i been your faithful donkey for years haven't i have i ever gone down a wrong road for you and instead of going oh my word what's happening i'm losing my mind I'm t- a donkey's talking to me no 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 he doesn't say that he answers the donkey <laughs> He says, well, yeah, you got a point. You've been a good donkey so far. Uh, yeah, Yeah, and so God opens his eyes to see, you know, and all of this. He who opened the mouth of a donkey can open the mouth of some rock. And I submit this to you. The Antichrist can do it. Guess what he does? They make a statue of him. And he makes it speak. Hmm. Rock, marble, gold, it speaks. And the whole world bows and takes the mark and says, Who's like that beast? They don't call him a beast, we call him the beast. They call him Mr. Wonderful, Mr. Savior of the world, who can make a statue speak. Now, if Satan can make rocks cry out and speak, then our God can do it. Just saying. Amen? All right. so I'm glad you're not going to be around, or me, Uh, during those days. The Bible says that God comes and rescues the church from harm's way, and then, by the way, it says, he calls the tribulation, get this, the name of the tribulation is called the time of Israel's troubles. That's the name of it. It's all about Israel. The church is removed. We're saved, and now God goes after the Jews and says, "Ah, let's talk." So He lets that happen, and then He comes to their rescue. I think I'm getting a little ahead of myself, and so, yeah, and so they don't want to hear anything, and they say it's blasphemy. And here's what I love, you know, they accused Him of this before, like, "Stop saying you're the Messiah. Stop saying you're equal to God." They pick up stones, and John 10 to stone him. Jesus, sarcastic, in a holy way, says, uh, for which of my good deeds are you going to kill me for? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> like, which, which one of the beautiful things are, am I worthy of death for? And then they go, we're not going to kill you because you're doing some good deeds. We're going to kill you because you, And I'm quoting, you a mere man, make yourself equal to God. Oh, they get it, right? So here's what he says after that. He says, look, If I can't do what only God can do and back up that claim with power that only God can do, then don't believe me. But if I say that, and then I can call people who are dead to life, open blind eyes who were born blind without eyes in their sockets. If I can say, okay, you can see now, or hear now, or cast the demons out of some crazy man, or multiply three little fish and five loaves of bread to feed 10,000 people, then you've got a problem because I'm making a claim to be God and I'm doing stuff that only God can do. So he says, and I'm quoting, if you have a problem with me, just get over it for the sake of the miracles. Believe on the miracles. Even though you don't like me, he's saying, if I'm tripping you up, just believe on the sake of the miracles alone, he says, so that you can be saved. That's our God. <laughs> it's just pretty amazing. And so, yeah, I want to close up with this amazing verse from the psalm that they're quoting, because this is going to blow your mind. They're quoting this Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The next breath. And I'm sure they were still singing it, but they didn't know what they were saying. We bless you from the house of the Lord, the temple. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the holiday sacrifice with cords up to the corners of the altar. Blessed is our Messiah. Here he is, there he is. Bind the sacrifice, the holiday lamb. They all have lambs. And so they're singing, hey, we got to tie up the sacrifice because it's the sacrifice made them right with God. So it was a joyful thing. And then they had a lamb uh, dinner together. It was part of the whole celebration. So in the song, it's like, okay, there he is. There's the Messiah. Find the holiday Passover lamb up with cords and tie him to the altar. The cross. They don't even know what they're saying. This is an amazing thing, the picture of the Lamb of God the holiday offering. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the Savior of the world, the the King of the Jews. Bind him. But you don't have to bind him with cords. He came on his own accord in great passion. No one takes my life, as I said. He said, I lay it down for you. Let's pray together. Father God, such love overwhelms us. We don't even, we can't even take it all in. The prophecies dovetailing together, the words, they are just, it's sublime. It, it, it's wonderful, God. It just, we we drink it all up by faith. And how blessed are we that somehow we didn't walk off the cliff like the rest, like most of the world. Somehow, you tapped us on the shoulder of our souls and said, hey, you, turn around. And we did. You chose us. God, we could have gone the wrong way and woken up with gnashing of teeth and a dread like none other. But instead, we'll wake up and be more like you with a perfect body and a heart that can never sin again and eternal pleasures at your right hand forevermore. All because of what? Not because of our clean hands and pure heart, but because of your clean hands and your pure heart and what you did to cleanse us. We thank you. We love you. We commit ourselves to your care. Help us to walk worthy. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.